Hi, you're listening to the podcast of Victory Santa Rosa. We pray that this message encourages you on your journey of faith in Jesus. It is good to be able to enter into our into this Holy Week. We commemorate the Holy Week. We celebrate the Holy Week. We uh, celebrate the implications of the Holy Week for our families. And we recognize that this is our week of freedom. And we're starting a new series. We're calling it of first importance. It's of first importance because we're going to tackle three particular, uh, three particular things about the Christian faith that are really of first importance. The first one today, we're going to talk about Christ's death. You know, on Palm Sunday, we remember that the reason why this is called Palm Sunday is because this is the day that he entered, that Jesus entered Jerusalem victoriously. People were, were waving palm fronds everywhere and they were just celebrating with Jesus. Blessed be, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they were celebrating because finally the king has come. But then they were so surprised that by the end of the week, week the king was dead. And they were all the more surprised that by the, a few days later, the king is alive again at the resurrection, which is the second thing we're going to talk about. It's of first importance to talk about Christ's death about Christ's resurrection, and 50 days later, which will be the day of Pentecost, next month, we're going to talk about the proclamation of the gospel by the power of the Holy Spirit, which is again of first importance. So those three things, Christ's death, Christ's resurrection, and the proclamation of the gospel by the power of the Holy Spirit. So with that, uh, I'd like for us to begin reading today from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me now to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to read the first eight verses. The first eight verses. And then we're going to pray and commit this uh, series, uh, to this preaching series to the Lord. Let's pray. This is verse 1. It says here, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you have, unless you believe in vain. Verse three. For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to save us. Referring to Peter. Then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, referring to the Lord's brother. Then to all the apostles, last of all as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Verse 8, I verse 9, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Verse 10, But by the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace to me, Toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Let's just pray. Lord, as we enter into this new, uh, this, uh, this season of Lent, I'm praying, Lord, for a significant celebration, a significant, a meaningful, uh, commemoration, Lord, for each of us and for each of our families. Lord, I'm praying that the next days, Holy, uh, Holy Wednesday, um, Holy Thursday, Good Friday, Black Saturday, Resurrection Sunday. Lord, I'm praying that you would allow us, you know, as we spend those days in vacation. Lord, may we also be able to reflect 
on the significance and the meaning of those days leading up to the cross and eventually to the resurrection. Lord, today as we talk about your death and the significance of your death on the cross, Lord, allow us to encounter the cross anew, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. So, we just read from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And this particular chapter, this whole book of 1 Corinthians was written by Paul two or three years after he visited Corinth for the first time. Now, uh, Corinth was the, one of the places that he visited on his second missionary journey. Now, if you remember, there was a point in Acts chapter 13 that he was sent out from the church in Antioch. And then the whole of Acts 13 and 14, those were the, the whole of Acts 13 and 14, that was when he went through several places, um, more than 10 cities, to do his first missionary journey. And then after that, he went back to Antioch. And then uh, Acts chapter 15 onwards, now it talks about the story of Corinth. On his second missionary journey, he went there for around 18 months. He preached the gospel and Corinth is a special city. It's very prosperous, but it's also very immoral. In fact, uh, a verb uh, that's used is to Corinthianize means to be sexually immoral. So kakaiba yung, yung, ano, kakaiba yung Corinth. And then Paul preached the gospel there powerfully, stayed there again for just one and a half years, and then moved on to the neighboring cities and concluded his second missionary journey. So two to three years later, he wrote this letter, 1 Corinthians, and he was addressing certain issues in the local church. There, was a lot, there were a lot of issues like disunity. And of course, he still addressed sexual immorality. And he said the sexual immorality in the church is way higher than the sexual immorality outside. So he had to pound on that a bit. And then he talked about the spiritual gifts. And then he talked about love. And then finally, uh, we come to 1 Corinthians 15 where he talks about the resurrection. All of these were issues in the local church. And that was the occasion by which this letter was written. So, of first importance, Paul used that phrase and said, this gospel that I gave to you, I received from the Lord, I delivered to you as of first importance. The idea that this has been a very significant thing. The first thing I ever did when I came to you was to deliver to you the gospel. Now, we understand the idea of first things first, right? Naririnig natin to. I remember when I was in first year college, uh, I took up PE as my, uh, uh, so I took up swimming as my PE. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit excited. My father and uh, used to take us, my brothers and I, to swimming almost every weekend uh, just to be able to, for us to be able to learn. So when I got to college, so I was excited, I took up swimming. So I practiced, I practiced. We were, you know, we were doing trainings at the Rizal Memorial uh, somewhere there in Harrison Plaza, Manila, there, okay. So it's sort, it was sort of official. I, you know, I began to practice doing laps, four laps, six laps, and the final exams uh, was eight laps. But the teacher said, I'm going to waive the eight laps. Instead, we're going to go to Subic and we're going to do an outing. And you can swim there, okay, on the beach. So I was so excited that night. I prepared everything. I was up until 2 a.m. I did not wake up at the alarm. <laughs> and so the bus left me. And I had to do my eight laps at Rizal Memorial. I missed it. First things first. I was so excited about the whole thing. I was ready. I was training. But I did not wake up. That was an important thing. If you don't get to do the first things, then you get to miss everything else. But, you know, the idea of first things first, that's a very trivial example, right? Okay lang yon, kahit na ma-miss mo yon. But there are certain things that you should not miss because they have to be in place first. 
before you do anything else. For example, this particular building, what if the engineers forgot the foundation? <laughs> Delicado yun, okay? How about, what about success in life? You're pursuing success in life and there's so many things that you're doing. You're sacrificing and all that. Then you realize at the end of your life, you did not pursue God's purpose, but rather only your purpose. You were not able to identify God's purpose and you kept pursuing already and you were so far ahead of your time, but then you're actually going the different, a different way than God's purpose for you. Ito, importante. A first importance. Very significant. What if you've been attending church all your life, yet you don't have a relationship with God? Which is why Paul would say, this is of first importance. I gave to you the gospel. I delivered this to you as of first importance, which you received. So what we like to do in, in our time this morning, we like to sort of ho- hopefully, you know, attempt to answer two questions. The first one, why is the gospel of first importance? Why is it even significant? Why is it important? And you probably have an idea already of the answer to that. Second, what is so significant and unique about Jesus' death? I mean, when Paul talks about the death of Jesus, why is it significant? There were two other robbers who died with him. People died across all the time. Why was Jesus' death different and unique than the death of the two robbers beside him? That's something we like to explore together as well. So we like to go back now to 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, we're only, we'll, in our discussion this morning, we'll only cover ver- the three, first three verses. I read uh, that many verses just for us to be able to get some context for what we're talking about. So verse 1, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand. Paul would say, I'd remind you because he came there two to three years ago and told them about the gospel. Explained to them the gospel. In fact, they call it the kirigma. And I, I learned it from Pastor, learned this from Pastor Ian, okay? The kirigma, it's the first body of teaching of the gospel that's given to the people. That specifically, Christ died, he was buried, he was raised from the dead, and then his gospel is proclaimed throughout all the nations. It's the first, most important, significant body of teaching that is given out in Christianity. So here was Paul, he gave them that two or three years ago, and now he's writing this letter and saying, I'm reminding you now. Things that are of first importance, they are worthy to be repeated. They are worth repeating. You probably notice we always say, honor God, make disciples. Yes, that's worth repeating. Because if you would, you know, for those of you who are looking for a purpose in life, that is your general purpose in life. You're called by God to honor Him and to make disciples. You're probably wondering, so what will I do with my life? Honor God and make disciples. If you don't get to do anything else, that would have been the most significant thing. You would have impacted people's lives for eternity. Now, in the context of honoring God, make disciples, find the specific purpose that God's given you. But you'll find that out as you begin to do the general purpose of God for your life. It's worth repeating. Honor God, make disciples. And so Paul is once again repeating the gospel which he proclaimed to them. Uh, Of the gospel I preached to you for 18 months, which you received. Now this is significant because Paul affirms the gospel I preached to you, you actually received it, which means you believed in Jesus. Now this would remind you a bit about Jesus' statement in John 1 verse 12. He says, to those who believed in me, to those who received me, I gave them the right to become children of God. So the idea of believing and receiving Jesus, the idea of believing and receiving the gospel, which is the good news about Jesus Christ, you know, that at that point, you 
are given the right to become a child of God. At that point, you're given the right to have relationship with the Father, which you receive. And then he says, in which you stand. In another translation, it says, in which you have continued to stand. Which means this, you not only believed the gospel the first time I told it to you, you continued to believe in it. You continued to walk in it. You persisted in it. You held fast to it. You did not let go of it. You stood in it. It's by which you stand. Now, that's important. In a short while, we're going to go back to that phrase. Because the, the, the Corinthians received the gospel and then they stood in it. They received the gospel and then they stood in it. Which gives you an idea. There are people who received the gospel at the beginning but would not persist in it. They would not continue to stand in it. And that's something significant. Verse 2. And by which you are being saved. Now this is controversial. <laughs> I thought salvation was, you know, when you believe in Jesus, then you receive the assurance of eternal life. Then you already have that assurance. And we know that. First John chapter 5 in verse 13 would say, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. So John was exhorting the believers and telling them, have the assurance. The day that you believe, that was the day that you received eternal life. Now you have the assurance of eternal life. And then what is Paul talking about when he says, you are being saved? I thought salvation is like a past tense thing. So now it will make sense. The idea of receiving and standing in it, continuing in it, because I am being saved. Now, um, when, when, you know, during the time that we were discussing, because we usually discuss this preaching um, even before Sunday with the rest of our pastors. And we were in discussion together and we were saying, this is a bit controversial. How do we do this? You know, and, but we would like to put it up there because this is what the gospel says. This is what Paul is saying. So what does that mean? Now, what I'd like you to do now, what I'd like to do now is that we're going to study a few more passages that use the same word salvation or save, which is called, which is sozo in the Greek, S-O-Z-O. And Paul uses the word sozo in different tenses. And all of which refer to salvation. So let's go to the first one. Romans 8.24 For in this hope, the hope of salvation, you, we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. So the, this, is, um, this is the simple past tense. We were saved. Consistent with what the Apostle John says, that when you believed in Jesus, you have received the assurance of eternal life. Consistent with what Jesus says. That when you receive and believe in Him, you're given the right to become a child of God. So, past tense. In this hope, we were saved. Check. Okay yung past tense. Still the same Greek word, sozo. In Ephesians 2.8, and most of you are familiar with this, for by grace you have been saved. Past perfect. I don't really understand what that is, okay? But it means it refers to something that's happened in the past and then there's a continuing action, okay? That continues, which means the idea that you've been saved and then there's a continuing action of salvation that God's still doing in your life. Now, some of you are already thinking, you're right. That's quite true. Justification, that's salvation. At one point, you've been justified before God. You now have a right standing with God. If God judges you today, he would see the blood of Jesus all over your life. You've been covered by the blood and therefore you stand righteous before Him. Past tense, justification. But 
It's a salvation, something that happened in the past that has continuing implication today. Sanctification. The Lord is transforming me until today. The Lord is still saving me until today. You have been saved. You know, Paul is not yet done. Romans 5 verse 9. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved. Future tense. What is Paul talking about now? <laughs> so here you are. You've been saved, justified. And now you're being saved. Or rather that salvation is continuing. Sanctification. And now you will be saved. Resurrection and glorification. That whole thread of salvific work, yung ginagawa na yan ni Lord sa buhay natin, the work, the salvation work that God is doing in our lives continues on from the day that you received, you believed in Christ. Continues on until today, which has huge implications. And then finally, there is a promised day by which we will be saved. Someone has in fact put it this way. We have been saved from the penalty of our sins. Justification. We are being saved from the power of sin, sanctification, and we will be saved from the presence of sin, glorification. That actually gives me a very holistic view of salvation. That to me is, wow, Lord, antindinyo. So all the way from the beginning, and your work is continuing in my life, and all of that lumped together is salvation. Sozo, which now brings us back to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 2, and by which you are being saved. Present tense. In other translation, it just says, this good news that saves you. This good news that saves you. It's a continuing work. It's a present tense. And the Lord is at work in your life until today. The gospel is at work in your life until today. That whole idea of being saved, and you've heard this before, the gospel is not just the A, B, C of the Christian walk, of the Christian faith. Rather, it is the A to Z of the Christian walk. Which means, it's not just justification at the beginning. I've received Christ. I've, I've given my life to Him. I've believed in Him. And then after that, that's done. The gospel, you can put it aside, put the gospel back on the shelf, let it dust. Let it collect dust again. No, the gospel is something that you actually apply in your life until today, every day, until the end of time. It's A to Z. In fact, you see the example of the Apostle Paul in the letter to the first Corinthians because he was addressing the issues. You know with what? He was addressing it with the gospel. At the beginning, the first few chapters, he would talk about, some people say, oh, I follow Apollos. Oh, I follow Paul. Oh, I follow Christ. And they are divided. And then Jesus, the Paul would bring them back to the idea, hey, do you not understand? Christ was the one crucified for you. You were baptized in the name of Christ. He would bring them back to the gospel. No, I planted, Apollos watered, but it is God who makes things grow. So bringing it back to the work of Christ and the work that he has done, which is found in the gospel. Then around chapter 6 onwards, he would talk about sexual immorality. And then he would say to the people, he would bring them back to the gospel. You're no longer your own. Christ, you know, Christ died for you. you. Your body no longer belongs to you. You've been bought with a price. Bringing the people back to the gospel. Then he would talk about, uh, in 1 Corinthians 14, he would talk about the, the, sorry, 13 and 14, he would talk about the spiritual gifts and about disorderly conduct in the, in the worship services. And then he would bring them back to the idea of love. And say that this is, it does not matter how gifted you are, it's about the love that you've received. And about that love coming from Christ. 
So, Paul would answer every issue that he tackles with the Corinthians, bringing them back to the gospel, giving sense to the idea that, oh, the gospel is of first importance. You received it from the beginning, but you continue in it, in which you were, you are being saved. Sorry, and by which you are being saved. So to answer the question, why is the gospel of first importance? It is of first importance because it saves us as we receive it and stand in it. We receive it and stand in it. And like to emphasize the whole idea of stand. The idea of stand is to persist in the gospel, to hold fast to it, to not let go of it, and to continue to apply it in your life. I'm not, we're not talking here about losing your salvation per se. You know, I know that could be a very sticky discussion, the whole theology behind it and so on. But we're simply talking about receiving the gospel at the beginning and standing in it, continuing in it, not letting go of it, applying every aspect of the gospel in your life until today. So, ano ba mga pinagdadaanan mo? And how does the gospel answer that? Hindi pa ba nakakabawi negosyo mo? Your, your business has not yet gone up and so on? Well, did you know that there's a promise of prosperity by the gospel? Because Jesus took on poverty so that you, through His poverty, might become rich. That's the substitution that He did in the gospel, found in the gospel. The Lord is the one who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms His covenant, His co- new covenant, the gospel, bringing us back to that whole idea. So what are the issues in your family? Are there fractured relationships in the family? Then the Lord is at work there also because the gospel is the ministry of reconciliation. As you get reconciled with God, as your children get reconciled with God, then eventually you'll also be reconciled to each other. The Lord is at work by the gospel, restoring or addressing what the current issues, the current issues that we might be facing in this life. Receive the gospel, yes, check. But continue to stand in it. Continue to embrace it. Continue to lay hold of it. Find your answers. The answers to your current needs in the gospel. Go to Christ again. The gospel is of first importance because it saves us as we receive it and stand in it. And that's that sort of gives, that sort of explains. No wonder Paul would say it's of first importance. This is so significant. Now you remember Jesus. He'd also say something along those lines. He'd say, seek first. The kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then Paul would echo that the saying, I deliver to you the gospel as of first importance. How do you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? By seeking the kingdom of God, by receiving the forgiveness, the righteousness that comes from the gospel. Which is why Paul would say, I delivered it to you as of first importance, consistent with what Jesus is saying of seeking the kingdom of God first. All right, does that make sense so far? Okay, we'll continue in verse 2. And by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you. The idea of salvation, the idea of receiving the promise of the gospel, the idea of receiving the work of the gospel, it comes to you when you hold fast to it. When you hold fast, when you don't let it go. And then Paul drops the bomb. He says, unless you believe in vain. This is a warning. For all of us. That phrase could mean two things. First, it could mean you believed in vain. What you believed is in vain. It it could mean the faith that we have, it's in vain. 
Now, there's a whole theological answer to that. We won't go into that now. And Pero, the rest of 1 Corinthians 15 talks to us about the resurrection in which, in which G, uh, Paul would say, your faith is futile if the resurrection did not happen. But as it is, the, resurrect, the resurrection did happen. Therefore, your faith is not futile. So the other meaning of unless you believed in vain, it could also mean unless you really did not believe. And that's the challenge we'd like to be able to give to all of us today. You've been here in church for a long time. Thank you for faithfully serving with us. This is not to cast doubt on your faith, but to allow yourself to be examined by God, by the Holy Spirit today and say, Lord, have I believed in vain? Have I really received the gospel? Why am I struggling so much with this? Is it because I've not, I have not really encountered you, Lord? Is it because I've not really believed in you and surrendered my life to you from the very beginning? Lord, have I believed in vain? Now, for those of you whom you know you've already believed, do not doubt. This is not to cast doubt on you, but to just ask the difficult question, have you really believed in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Have you really responded to the gospel in that way? Because if so, then you have not believed in vain. Then our encouragement, hold fast to it. You've received the gospel, stand in it, and the Lord brings salvation, a continuing work of salvation in your life and you'll experience more of the promise of the gospel in your life and in your family. All right. Having said that, let's now go to the second part. The second part of this message, we like to begin to ask the question, verse 3, for I delivered to you, and he says, of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. So the idea that Christ died. So Paul would say, I delivered this to you as of first importance, and this is the story. Christ died. This is important. We're asking the question, why is Jesus' death significant? Why is it unique from the deaths of the two other robbers to his left and to his right? Why is it different? Because it was the Messiah who died. It was the Messiah and the death of the Messiah is significant. As promised in scripture, that there will be someone, that there will be someone, that the Messiah will come and he will rule and reign. And by his, by, by, uh, because of him, peace will be proclaimed to all of the nations. And then, this Messiah is also the suffering servant. You see that in Isaiah 53. And so this particular Messiah, that they thought would be a conquering king, also came as a suffering servant, which is why they were really puzzled when Friday came. How could he have died? He was like a conquering king when he entered Jerusalem last Sunday. How could he have died? Not realizing, not realizing, that it was according to the scriptures. It was according to the scriptures. Christ died. The reason why Jesus' death is so significant and unique is because He is the Messiah. It was not just anyone who died. It was the Messiah who died. And He died for our sins, not for His sins. The two robbers and everyone else who died on the cross prior to Jesus, they all died for their sins. Jesus did not die for His sins. He died for our sins. Giving us an idea that Jesus' death is so significant because the Messiah died for our sins. Now, when I was just starting out in my Christian walk, Victory U Belt, at one particular Sunday, someone was preaching and he, he gave this phrase. He said, the cross, the cross is something that you have to encounter 
in order for you to really give your life completely to Christ. I did not understand it at the time. But then I got to have a bit of an idea that, yeah, you're right. For us who have come to understand and encounter the cross, the Messiah would die for my sin. For us who have encountered the cross, that has changed Christianity from just a comfortable religion, a convenient church to go to, to a real, a very real encounter with God. Realizing that's the love of the Messiah being poured out for me on the cross. And that was an excruciating death that he had to go through just for me. For those of you who've been through Victory Weekend, when we talk about the power of the cross, you encounter God afresh. You encounter God and you, you realize, Lord, you are so real. Your love for me is so real. God, how could you do that for me? Well, I mean, my, I don't know if my parents would even do something like that for me. But you did that for me, Lord. Such great love that was showed at the cross. Jesus' death is so significant because it was the Messiah who died. And he died not for his sins, but for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. In Luke 24, Jesus would say to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, and he would, he would say this, he, he would describe, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. And some of us, have, have a, we have an idea of that, all the way from Genesis, Genesis 3. That he would already be prophesied. The offspring of the woman will, you will strike his heel, but he will crush your head. Referring, referring to the serpent. And then you would see that as the Old Testament unfolds. And you would see that prophesied among the prophets. In the Psalms, it would talk about the Messiah. Those very same things that are repeated in the New Testament. Those very same passages that came from the Old Testament. Repeated in the New Testament that Jesus fulfilled. He fulfilled more than 300 prophetic words, prophetic items, which is so impossible for one man to be able to fulfill. And yet he fulfilled them all as prophesied in the Old Testament. What does that bring us to? Jesus' death is so significant because it was the Messiah who gave his life for us and he died not for his sins, but he died for our sins. I'd like for us to uh, to land this, to land this now. If you could go back to, to that passage. Thank you. I lost my connection. So let me let me g- g- bring us to this now. So how do you respond to that? The reason why Jesus' death is so significant is because it was the Messiah who died for our sins. The reason why the gospel is of first importance because it's what brings us salvation. And that salvation comes to us when we receive the gospel and we continue to stand in it. So our challenge to us as we conclude this message is this. Would you be willing to receive and deliver the same message? Would you be willing to receive and deliver the same message? In the same way, deliver the same message. You know, I, you go, let's go back to that passage, uh, verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Paul would say, what I received, I delivered it to you. What I received, I delivered it to you. Did you know? You know. So what, what does that mean? It means responding to the gospel, receiving the gospel, and then being used of God to be able to give it to other people. You know, I'd, I'd like to give one particular takeaway for us. During this Holy Week, one of the things that my family and I uh, do, my family and I do during the Holy Week is that we take communion together in the home. I don't know if any of you have done that or if you do that. I realize it's a beautiful family tradition. And I know it, it puts quite a, you know, the responsibility on the father 
to be the one to do it. You're going to be the one to lead that. Or if you're a single parent, a solo parent home, then the mom uh, or whoever is the authority in the house to be the one to lead the family in responding, in responding to the cross or to the gospel in this way by taking communion together and receiving the significance of the communion. In 1 Corinthians 11, a few chapters back, you see the same words. 1 Corinthians 11, 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. And then Paul would talk about the communion. My family and I get to do that on a regular basis, at least once a month during our times of family devotions. Significant events, whether that be birthdays, uh, anniversaries, Christmas and New Year, we celebrate that with the communion. We had a chance to, uh, to get uh, to, you know, the, one of the first things that we ever did when we moved house to, to the place where we live in now. We took communion together as a family. When I dedicate homes, we take communion together with the owners of the home. The whole idea that, Lord, we're proclaiming the gospel here and now. We're proclaiming it again. Christ died. He was buried. He was resurrected again from the dead. We're proclaiming the gospel with, with the act of the communion. And I realize if you would have a chance this week, maybe on Friday, a quick suggestion, 3 p.m., that same time where we usually celebrate when Jesus finally gave up his spirit. Gather your family together. Take communion together. Experience and celebrate that solemn moment and proclaim the gospel all over again. Would you be willing to receive the gospel and be used of God to be able to, live, to deliver it to other people as well? This has been the Victory Santa Rosa podcast. To see more church updates, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Victory Santa Rosa.